give you a second to find who you're sitting next to. Still got people coming in. Good, good. Okay, let us begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for uh, your faithfulness, and we thank you for your many blessings. Lord, I just ask that you would be with the service today as we serve you in, in faith and in truth. Lord, bring us all together and open our ears to hear what you have for us today. In your name, amen. Okay, so today... I want to talk about faith, and faith without works is dead is kind of the, the, what I'm going for here, and I've been working through the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews 11 is the next chapter I was going to study, so let's dive into that. So Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtain a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which were visible. By faith Abel offered to God more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gift, and through it being dead still speaks." So let's go back to the definition that's given in verse 1. So now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence for things not seen. So faith describes the substance of belief, and it's linked to our endurance and our hope. And then uh, chapter 11 goes into the faith at the dawn of history. So we have Abel and his gift of witness or his gifts were the witness of his righteousness. Then they talk about Enoch and how his righteousness was a testimony of his faith and he was taken up into heaven without dying because of his faith. Then you have Noah. And he definitely had to have faith in a thing that was not yet seen, right? Rain wasn't a thing that they even understood. Yet he built an ark and saved his family and saved all the animals. So now I'm going to jump down to verses, let's see here, 8 through 12. And this is talking about Abraham and his faithfulness. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in the tents with Isaac and Jacob the heirs of him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child. And she was, when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, one man and him as good as dead were born as many of the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So Abraham and Sarah's faith, through their faith, were born as many of the stars and as innumerable as the sands. And it's just funny here because it says, 
and him as good as dead. Like, they were old, and they still had children, right? It's just, it's crazy that their faith had power to overcome that. Well, it's the power of Jesus Christ, right? The power of God overcame that, their age. So then verse 13 hops into the heavenly hope. And, you know, that's what motivated these people that we've talked about. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. So let's read verse 13. Those all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who had say such things declared plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire better. That is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So they left what they had on earth their earthly home. And they could have gone back to it. It says they had opportunity to return. But their desire was better. That is a heavenly country. And God was not ashamed of that desire that they had. So now we're going to change gears a little bit and go to uh, James 2, verses 14 through 26. And this is kind of where it gets more personal, personal, I guess, more personal, where, like, how do we have that same kind of faith? How do we have faith that, what's the word for it, that, uh, that motivated them? How do we find that faith? So starting in verse 14, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith? And does not have works. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of food, of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled. But do not give him the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have my works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, his faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, saying, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers And sent them out another way. And remember Rahab, because we'll come back to her. For as the body without spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. 
So we've got Abraham, who we talked about in Hebrews 11, and then we're going to remember Rahab for later. So this, you know, as we take it a step more personal, I think of a quote by Jordan Peterson. You only find out what you believe rather than what you think you believe by watching how you act. You simply don't know what you believe before that. So you only find out what you believe by watching how you act. And this kind of reminds me of an experience I had during COVID. I was working for a paint store, and uh, it was, you know, we had national paint shortage. All this stuff was going on. And, you know, these you're dealing with wearing masks and helping customers and all this confusion, right? This is all new to the retail world. And, you know, I was sitting uh, at home one night with Theron, and we were talking about um, how they had lifted the mask mandate for, for people at my work, so we didn't have to wear them anymore. But it had been a couple weeks, and they were talking of bringing it back. And I kind of absentmindedly said, if they bring that back, I'm quitting. I'm not going to wear a mask. And, of course, Theron chose this time to sharpen some iron and said, are you really going to do that? Are you really going to do what you say you're going to do? And I was like, oh, man. You know, what does my word count for if I can't stick to it? So, sure enough, the mandate came back for employees only, and we had to wear masks at work. And so, you know, this was very difficult because, you know, this is a good job. It paid well. I was assistant manager. You know, it had been really successful so far and I still wrestled with it and the first day I went back and wore a mask and I came home feeling really guilty because I knew I'd gone back on my word and so the next day I went in and I told my boss it's like I'm not wearing a mask today and uh, she looked at me and said are you serious like <laughs> you know what you, wh what and I told her no I'm not wearing a mask today and so, you know, it took a couple days for them to go through the process, but I did end up getting fired because of that. And, you know, it, it was a, a good experience for me to learn that when I say something, I need to believe it. If I'm going to say what I, you know, because I can talk all day long, you know, it's fun to talk about different theology and different things that are good, but how I act is really what I believe. So you only find out what you believe rather than what you think you believe by watching how you act. And that's where this faith comes in of these people in Hebrews 11. You know, this, this chapter is called the Hall of Faith of these people. Like, and they are imperfect people. You know, there's different sins that are mentioned that they did, but they had faith and the majority of their actions or some of their actions showed that faith. So let's go back to Hebrews 11 and start in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish for those who did not believe, with those who did not believe, when she had received the spies with peace. So Rahab in her faith, in protecting those spies, was saved from the destruction of Jericho. 
And what more shall I say? I love this. The pastor or the, the author of Hebrews in verse 32. And what more shall I say? Like he's like, there's all these people. And he starts naming off even more. For the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Je- Japheth, of David, of Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned the fight, turned to flight, I'm sorry, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, and women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might attain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of earth. All of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that we, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Okay, let me read verse 39, because this kind of sums up what I'm trying to say. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. These people had faith, and they didn't even have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have Jesus Christ, who had died on the cross yet, like we do. And God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So faith without works is dead, and and it's proven through those of the Old Testament. But we get to show through our actions, our faith. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And this is our hope. Because he lives, we can stand for what we believe. Because he lives... We can worship here together. So just think of that as, as we prepare to worship in song and as I bless that time. So let's stand, and I will pray for the worship. Lord, we thank you for this time that we get to come and, and sing songs before you and lift our voices. Lord, as we go out this week, let our actions show our faith. We ask these things in your name. Amen.
What's holding us back? What I mean by that is going into that second verse, it says, if you've been forgiven and if you've been redeemed, sing the song forever to the Lamb. If you walk in freedom and if you bear his name, sing the song forever the Lamb. So what's holding you back? I guess the question becomes, do you do that? Do you bear His name? Do you know that you've been forgiven? It's not a question of whether you've been forgiven. It's do you know it? God, thank you for that reminder for me this morning. Hopefully, it's a reminder for someone here today as well. It's a conviction for someone here as well. God, help us not be held back by circumstances, by what we think someone might think of us. They don't care about you any more than you really think they do. They don't remember. God, help us to live our life to honor and serve you. Help that to be our main priority. And God, help us to love people around us but in such a way to bring them closer to you God thank you for this group here this morning that we can worship you and be convicted and cast our burdens at your feet God, may we lift your name high the rest of this service, our week, and help us to take that out to our community, God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need more time, you can just go over.
Lord, just want to thank you for Jason, his time and as a minister here and as a pastor. Lord, I just pray they'll anoint him, bless him, and help us to hear what you have for us. In your name I pray, amen. Good morning. Welcome. This morning, we're going to Acts chapter 9, and uh, this is a this is always a, um, a fun scripture to read through. It's the conversion of Saul. And so uh, why don't you stand up with me, if you're able, to while we read this. We're going to read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank." Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to, who, to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose, and he was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. You can be seated. So remember when, a couple chapters ago, when Stephen was stoned and he became the first martyr for Christ, that Saul was there and he was observing and he was giving his approval for what was happening. And then we left that and we had talked about uh, Philip and some of the things that he did. And now we're coming back to Saul. And Saul is still in this mentality of <clears throat> getting rid of anybody who believes in Christ. It's the first thing, foremost thing in the front, front of his mind is how can we get rid of these people? How can we eliminate them? How can we keep this thing from spreading? So he's getting letters to go to Damascus, which is a, way, a little bit of a travel, several days travel, 
to go there to try to get rid of them too. And maybe because some of the people had come to Jerusalem and heard the truth, heard the, the, the gospel, and they had taken that home with them, and they were going to share that. And so Saul is concerned that maybe this is going to start to spread. So this is maybe possibly the reason that he's wanting to get the authority when he goes to Damascus to be able to bring people back and put them in prison. His, in, his intent is still on putting people in prison for believing. This is his goal. This is what is keeping him going. This is his drive at this moment in time. But it's interesting. I, we had the youth group at our house on Thursday night, and I was reading from 1 Timothy, and I want to read a few verses from there again. Because we all, we're going to get to what happens with with Saul here. You've heard the story before, but uh, this, I like how this points out. It's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And this is Paul writing now, who right now we're talking about Saul in Acts, but who later become, changed his name to Paul. And it says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he, has, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent man, But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever. It says in verse 13, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the word that I was after there on Thursday night was ignorantly. He didn't know. He didn't know who Jesus was. He hadn't had the experience of getting to know Jesus. What does ignorant mean? It means lacking education or knowledge. Saul in Acts is lacking education or knowledge of who Jesus is. So he continues to seek after these people to throw them in prison. And the people are scared of him and they're leaving and they're fleeing and they're running and they're going to different places because they don't want to be thrown in prison. They're not stopping sharing the word of God, but they are running a little bit from him. And, and it's, I don't know how these things, when I'm studying for something, things pop into my mind that I thought, oh man, that would be a, a good way because here you have Saul who has a passion for what he's doing. We talk about people being on fire for the Lord. He was on fire against the Lord. And I don't like to put words in God's mouth, but if God saw him, what he was doing, and he thought, what if he were on our side? That's from The Lion King, in case you haven't seen that one. But that popped into my head when I was reading through this, and I just thought, you know what? That's pretty fitting. Because if, if... if Saul has a passion for what he's doing against Christ, and Jesus can see, God can see through that. He can get through that. He can work through that. And yes, there's going to be details to work out. But what if we can get him doing that for Jesus? What if he's on our side? And I like how he says, who's the brains of this outfit? You know who the brains of this outfit is God. 
Because he's the one that puts these things together and he's the one that can see the whole picture of what's happening. Because if we are looking at it from our perspective, it looks like uh, the enemy is winning and Saul is throwing people in prison and they don't really have any hope of getting away from him. But if we can trust and believe that what God is doing and that he can see the entire picture, we're going to be so much better off. So much better off. The passion, the persistence, the drive to imprison and persecute believers was turned around for the exact opposite purpose. If he can have that kind of passion, that's what God wants. What is your passion that you have today? Can God take the passion that you have and use it for his glory? Can he use it to minister to other people? Can he use your passion whatever it might be, to minister to other people. Saul wasn't looking for this. He wasn't trying to figure out what it was or who it was. He had a one-tracked mind, and he was going to persecute followers, of it says, of the way. But he goes to, he heads to Damascus, and you've heard the story before, and a bright light shines on him, and he falls to the ground, and he can hear a voice that says, Saul... Why are you persecuting me? This is Saul's experience with Jesus. This is when Saul meets the very person that he's persecuting. And Saul's response is, Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Remember, he was doing this in ignorance and in unbelief. He didn't believe. He didn't know who Jesus was. He was doing it out of ignorance. He was lacking He was in a condition of being uneducated, unaware, or uninformed. He didn't know who Jesus was. And therefore, he finds himself persecuting Jesus. He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then he said, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And you often wonder, what in the world is he talking about? But you go back to Acts chapter 5, and you remember when they weren't sure the, the... priests weren't sure what to do with the believers that were to the disciples that were teaching and preaching and so Gamaliel had given this advice in in Acts 5:39 it says but if it is of God you cannot overthrow it lest you even be found to fight against God and Saul in his persecution of Christ is fighting directly against God and we all know that in the end God has already won the victory And so when he says it's hard and it's difficult to kick against the goads, that's meaning that you're going to really have a difficult time. It may seem like you're winning by throwing people in prison, but you're really going to have a difficult time continuing to fight against God. And so rather than God just pushing him aside and getting rid of him, God's thinking, what if he's on our side? And he can do the same thing for us. He can do the same thing for God. He can share Christ with the same passion that he's trying to destroy Christ. Who are you, Lord? And the next question that he asks is, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Because now he is blind. Because God says, get up and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. It's just interesting to me that he meets Jesus here on the road to Damascus. And Jesus, in a sense, introduces himself to him. And immediately, Saul has to trust him. What do you want me to do? Get up 
and go into the city and I'll tell you what to do from there. He can't see to walk anywhere. He gets up. He has to be led by the hand by the people with him. Can you, another a side note, can you imagine if you were the people that were with him? Maybe you saw the light and you heard the voice and you couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. So right away, he's put in a position to have to trust God. Now, this is the experience that Saul had meeting Christ. Not everybody's experience is quite this dramatic. Nor does it have to be. Sometimes we can get caught up in the fact that if you didn't have a dramatic experience of when you met Christ, are you sure that you really know who Jesus is? And I will just want to encourage you and say that no, you still can know who Jesus is. It does not have to be this type of a experience. This is pretty dramatic. But this is what it was going to take in this particular case for this particular man for him to turn a complete 180 degrees and start serving the same God that he was trying to destroy. So Saul is led by the hand. He can't see. And he's there for three days without eating or drinking. Then we turn to the next man that God, again, is working on this whole picture plan. And he's doing the same thing in our lives today. He really is doing the same thing in our lives today. The question is, do we trust that he is doing that same thing? Do we trust that he's doing the same thing? Do we trust that he sees the whole picture? Because sometimes if he asks us to do something... That really doesn't make any sense because we're going to see here with Ananias what he's asking Ananias to do seems like a not a very good idea for Ananias to do. He talks to Ananias and Ananias says, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? In this I'm paraphrasing. But the Lord said, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold... He is praying, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Do you suppose that Ananias had a couple of questions? Because I'm pretty sure I would have had a couple of questions. And here's what Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem And here, even here in Damascus, he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. I I would have had probably more questions than that. Why do you want me to go? Do Do you understand who this person is? Do you understand who this guy Saul is? I've heard a lot about him. Why do you want me to go to him? Why? Do you want me to go to him? Do we question? How often do we question? Again, do we trust that God knows what he was doing? Because right here, if I was in Ananias' shoes, I don't know if I would trust that he knew what he was doing. But yet, we have those same experiences today. God, do you really know what you're doing? Do you understand what you're asking me to do? And I was reading in a different version, uh, and it said, don't argue with me. Jesus' response to Ananias, don't argue with me. But here it says, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine 
to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. This is Saul, who is persecuting the believers in Christ. And God tells Ananias, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. He's a chosen vessel of mine. Do we understand that each one of us is also a chosen vessel of Christ? We don't have to be in the position that Saul was persecuting believers but even God, God is even saying, even Saul, he's a chosen vessel of mine. And I'm going to use him to bear my name before a lot of people. I want to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 through 11. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. But by the grace of God I am what I am. Paul, Saul, he learned to understand what grace was. If we don't understand what grace was, if he doesn't learn what grace is, because he keeps saying, he says several times in the, in the books that he writes, of, uh, uh, it says, he was the chief, I was in the other one I read, he was the chief of sinners, of whom I have chief, sinners of whom I am chief. And with saying this, he understands what grace is, because God met him right where he was, not waiting for things to change, not waiting for him maybe to uh, become educated in who Christ was. Because you see, Saul knew the law. Saul knew the Old Testament. But he didn't know Christ. Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 7. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit, to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. The verse that I'm after is that last one. It says, it's talking about the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. If it wasn't for the grace of God, Paul is saying, I would not be in this position to be able to minister to you. It's because of the effective working power of Jesus. 
is the only reason that I, he was able to stand there and say that. And you know, it's by that same, that same effective working power that we can stand on what's right, we can stand on what's true because of the power of the cross. We talked a lot this morning about it not being about us, but yet it is about us because if it wasn't for us, God would have had no reason to go to the cross. But it's the effective working of his power. That's why we can stand here. That's why we can live. That's why we can believe what we believe. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. Or we, if we were in Ananias' spot, what would, what would you have done? What, have, what would have been your response? I would have had to say, I think mine would have been very similar to what Ananias was. Do you, do you understand? You, do you imagine, can you imagine just conversing with God? Like, now listen, do you, under, do you really understand who this guy is? He came here with the authority to arrest me and put me in jail. And now you want me to go to him and pray for him. Yep. That's exactly what I'm asking Are we willing to obey? Because I don't think anything that we have been asked here in the life that we live, I'm not sure what it would be that would compare to this. The scripture talks about loving your enemies and, and being good to those who hate you, but who, who are those people? Do we really deal with a lot of people that we feel like are our enemies? Probably not a lot. This would have been difficult for Ananias to want to go. To lay hands on and pray for Saul. But you know what? He did. He did it. Yes, he asked some questions, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But the fact is that he did. After God said, in this other translation, don't argue with me, go. Because this is the person that I have chosen to take my gospel to the Gentiles, and to kings, and all around the world. Just go. And so Ananias did. He obeyed. He was obedient. And that's a good reminder to me when God asked me to do something to be obedient because I don't think usually what he asked me might not be this difficult or probably would never be this difficult at this point in time. But God had prepared both sides. God had prepared Saul to meet Ananias, and God had prepared Ananias to meet Saul. He's working on both sides, and today, with the scripture that we have, we get to read both sides. And we get to read that God has appeared to Saul and said, this is who's going to come, and he's going to lay hands on you, and he's going to pray for you. And God on this side had appeared to Ananias and said, I want you to go to this guy's house, and you're going to meet Saul of Tarsus, and you're going to lay hands on him. He had prepared both sides. But as we're living our life, we're on one side. And we're hearing one side. And we're hearing God say, I want you to pray for this person. Or I want you to go visit. Or I want you to send a message to this person. And we don't have any idea what's happening over here, which neither one of them did either. Except we get to read both sides. And we get to see the results of what happens. But there's a lot of things in our life that we don't always get to see the results of what happens. But the question still comes down to the fact, do we trust him enough to still be obedient? 
Do we trust God enough to still be obedient even though we can't see both sides of what's going on? What if you were Ananias? What would you have done? What situations do you find yourself in today that we still have to make that decision? God, I don't understand or I don't know about that person or whatever the question might be, but if this is what you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. I a lot of times read through different things and we share different things and I wonder how, how do we apply that to our life today? Because we can sit here week after week, month after month, year after year, and we can hear scripture and we can read about things that have happened and we can be encouraged by them. But how do we put it into practice? How do we apply it to our lives today? And I'm not going to stand here and say that I have that figured out, but this is the questions that I have. How do we apply that to today? Because you might say, well, I don't know if God really talks to me today. Well, I think he does talk to us today. I think he talks to us through his word, if we're spending time in his word I think sometimes if we turn off the distractions or the noise or the music or whatever it might be and we're just quiet, we might hear something. But what does this look like today? If we're in the situation where Ananias is and God comes to him and we can say, well, back then they didn't have all the distractions that we have today. Okay, I'll give you that. They had different distractions. They still had distractions Granted, it seems like we have a lot more, a lot more available and easily available to us today, but they still had distractions then. How do we set those distractions aside and how do we listen to what God is telling us? How do we hear what He's asking us to do? How do we how can we be obedient if we can't hear what He's asking us to do? So how do we apply it to today? Maybe we just need to be quiet and listen. You ever, you ever, if you get to sit in a tractor or if you get to sit in a truck or, or something and it's quiet, and I know I, for me, I a lot of times like to listen to music or a talk show or whatever, and in our tractor, if the radio gets messed up, then try not to run into things while you're trying to figure out how to fix it. But maybe, just maybe, it's a time to just be quiet. You can still go about your job. You can still do what you need to do, but maybe... There's a time to just be quiet and to listen for what God is trying to tell us because God wants that relationship, that communication with you. Here is Saul, who he met on the road to Damascus, who had no education, no training of who he had not met Jesus. And yet right here, Jesus shows up to him on this road and he immediately is giving him directions on what to do. And this is somebody who hasn't even known Jesus. And you we'll read the whole New Testament and you can see all the things that Paul did and that God used him for. It's incredible. But how long have we known Jesus and how often do we stop to listen to what he has to say? Three things from today. God can use anybody. If he can take Saul who is persecuting him 
and turn it around and take that passion and use it to share his love with people. God can use anybody. Second one, we need to be obedient. If God shares with us something to do, we need to do it. And the third one is remember that God sees the whole picture. Not just this side and not just that side. He sees all of it. And that's what he's working with. And what he gives us to work with might just be one side of it. But we still need to trust that he is in control. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. We're going to sing one of the songs that we sang, um, Amazing Grace. I just want to end with that song. I want you to think about how we can apply this to our lives. How can we hear? How can we learn to listen? How can we learn to obey when God is trying to get our attention? Father, thank you for your love this morning. I thank you for this story of the conversion of Saul. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to learn to listen for you, learn to open our ears and our hearts to you. And also in the same way that Ananias was obedient, help us to be obedient when you ask us to do something. We love you this morning, and I just pray that you would guide our week. Give us opportunities, Lord, to share your love with people. In your name we pray, amen. If you'd like to stand, you can. You can sit wherever you want to worship.
Thank you again, Father, for your love. Guide our week. May it be pleasing, glorifying to you. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be dismissed.